Hi, and uh, welcome back to my podcast. It has certainly been uh, a little while since I last recorded and posted anything. Um, and I wanted to talk today about a new, new, like, well, a month old, a one month old project of mine uh, called Apple Music Analyzer. Uh, if you follow me or, or sort of, you know, know anything about me, you've probably seen it on the internet. Uh, it all started when I saw that Apple had uh, opened up the GDPR privacy portal to the rest of the world. Um, it had been previously available only in Europe and in other parts of the world you could actually uh, request a download but you had to email them and it'll take a month and they set up a portal you could actually just select what you wanted so I selected everything so I could look through exactly what they had, you know, what data they had on me. Um, and I was looking through it and I'm, I'm really love exploring music and, and the data with the way that we listen to music. Because I think the way that we listen to music is a really interesting and, and sort of unique way of looking at ourselves. It gives quite a lot of insight into our behaviors and our lives and our emotions um, and our actions and, and just our day-to-day um, passing. So I first found the Apple Music um, file deep in the depths of the folder and zip structure and it was, mine was about a 40 megabyte csv file um, which anyone who's ever had to use uh, excel for mac will know that it struggles and numbers struggles even more so i went well trying to set up a pivot table or something like that isn't going to work here so let me write some code um, to see what i can pull out of it and well, why don't I uh, why don't I try and uh, do something in React? I'd recently built a couple of other things um, in React, and I wanted to keep exploring. I, I'm really trying to learn web technologies recently, and I thought React seemed like a great place to try and build this. Not because it's great for data analyzation. I mean, it, I have no idea. It's probably pretty crap at it, to be honest. But because I wanted to build something in it, anything. Um, and so I started just simply by parse the CSV and I counted the number of rows and I had to figure out how is this structured. And the file is structured interestingly. Um, of course, like any good you know, long-term data structure, some people like myself have data from uh, 2015 onwards. The early data is structured different to the later data. At a certain point, different fields started being recorded. So I had to deal with that. Um, and then I also had to deal with the problem of if you start playing a song and you play 10 seconds of it and then you pause and then you come back and then you play and then you play 30 seconds and you pause and then, you know, you do that a couple of times. They're all recorded as separate rows, but that's really one play. And so I had to figure out how to work out what was a play and what isn't a play. I took a play as being anything, any continuous playback over eight seconds long. So any play like less than eight seconds long doesn't count as a play. Um, and I had to make sure, you know, if you paused it and you started later, is that a play? But if you paused it and you started significantly later at a different time in the song, well, that's a separate play, right? That's you starting again. Um, and then thankfully, because of the way the data was managed, it was, it was better than the way iTunes used to do it. You didn't have to finish a song for it to be counted as a play. Um, and so it actually recorded all of the data. So if you got three quarters of the way through and then you scrubbed back to the beginning and then you played it again... That would all be recorded as separate line items. And so I iterated through that and I came up with, you know, what is the most played song? 
Um, and I pretty quickly decided I didn't like using the play count. Play count, I think, is a sort of... I don't think it matches exactly what we think. It doesn't matter how many times you listen to a song. It ha- matters how much of your life you were listening to the song. So I cared more about like total minutes that a song was playing for. Um, and so I produced that and then it was like, okay, well, let's see where we can go from here. But I wanted to keep it quick. It was already a little bit slow. It took a, a second or two to iterate because I had to go line by line through the entire file. Um, and I wanted to make sure I only iterated through it once. So on that one iteration, in that one for loop, I had to get everything done. And so I ended up actually duplicating a lot of the data. Um, if I had access to like some sort of you know, uh, querying language uh, database, like a, a SQL database of some kind, then obviously I would have dumped it in that and then I could have just queried the database um, for what I wanted after my first pass. I'd you know, do, the, do the data cleanup and then just dump it all in the database. But JavaScript doesn't really have that. Um, I've since researched, there's ones called like PouchDB, or which is like a CouchDB equivalent for client-side JavaScript and a few other ones, like someone's made Taffy, which is really just object, a querying language on top of JavaScript objects. Um, but I've not explored any of those. I just store everything in normal JavaScript objects. Um, and I don't do any querying. I just do the iteration once and perform a bunch of functions. So I have... Um, an array for every song listened in each year that you've had it. So for most people, that's 2015, 16, 17, 18. Um, And then in there, I also have the list of artists. Under each artist, I have the list of songs. And so it ends up with a lot of data duplication, but not exactly data duplication. Um, I also have the total list of songs, the total list of artists. Um, And then recently I added the total for each year. And then I also have things like the total number of times each song was stopped and why it was stopped. So that's an interesting one. So like, you know, you stopped a song because you scrubbed it to the beginning or you stopped a song because you scrubbed it to the end. And I kept adding these as I kept building out uh, interface elements. So I started with, okay, so what is the top song from each year? And then I was like, well, I need to go through in, in, as I iterate, I need to see which year it is. And I need to add the total to that year for the, for that song's play for that year. Well, I'm querying not when did you play this song, but I'm querying what song did you play in this year. So I need to sort that into a data structure related to the years as opposed to related to the songs. Um, and then I went through, okay, well, what song did you play in this? How much did you listen to music in this month? I could, you know, I want up and downs. I want to see that the, the changes in this month I listened to a lot because I, you know, I was working a lot or I was traveling a lot. And this month I listened to none because I was, you know, it was the Christmas time and I didn't listen to any music or, you know, whatever the the inference and the conclusions can be drawn. I wanted to see that. I wanted the data presented in as many different ways as I could. And so I also wanted to see how much time I listened to for every single day since I had it. So I could see which days were the highest and which days were the lowest. And then days come with, you know, date and time comes with a whole range of problems in programming. Um, and then you add on top of that, the wonderful part of date and time programming, which is, of course, international time zones and, and the mess that is, if I start playing a song when I get on a flight from California to Sydney and I lose a day and I change 18 hours of time zones, but I didn't stop playing, where do those songs, at what point do they get allocated to where? If it's UTC, how does that work for me breaking up the times? 
thankfully, the data actually has the the obviously all the dates, that the times are stored uh, in UTC, but then it also has um, the offset in milliseconds from UTC that the time zone was in, that the phone was in at the time that it was recorded. So you can actually, I've broken them up by logical days, which means you can listen to more than 24 hours of music in a single day if you were in enough time zones during that day and playing music continuously, um, which was nice. It meant that, you know, it, it, everything was just a logical day as it was in your head. If a day lasted for 36 hours in your head, then it lasted for 36 hours. If a day didn't exist, then it didn't exist. Um, and that allowed me to break up one of those like little GitHub style colored charts that gives you uh, the, the months and the days of the week. And you can see using just the opacity of each of the cells, you know, how blue or how white it is along a scale, see, you know, the days you listen to a lot. And you can sort of see the, the, the fluctuations and the ups and downs of when you listen to music a lot and when you didn't listen to any at all. And like in my data, I think it was 58 days in the last 1,200 days that I didn't listen to any music. And that's, that's kind of crazy. You can get that and see, wow, there is so few days that I didn't listen to music. Um, and then I wanted to look at sort of listening habits during the day. Um, so I, then I had to break it up by um, day of the week and time of the day. So I could see, you know, Monday to Friday, I listen to music most commonly at 8 a.m. on my commute. And it's sort of 5 p.m. on my commute. And then at around midday, I don't listen to any music because I'm usually at lunch. Um, and then weekends is entirely different. And after sort of 6 p.m., I almost never listen to music because I never listen to music at night. And different people have different data, but you can almost always work out what time people wake up and what time they commute at based on when they listen to the music. Um, and then I wanted to just have a big, long list of every song so you could exclude them because it, uh, I sent the early version off to a bunch of friends of mine. Um, and it turns out uh, a friend, uh, Kyle, he listens to a lot of white noise. Um, and to the point that white noise was just destroying his entire stats, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours of white noise. And so I needed a way to exclude a song and have all of the calculations reperformed. So when you exclude, it does take a couple of seconds for anything to, you know, refreshes the UI because uh, it performs all of the calculations again. Um without that song. So if you need to you know, exclude white noise or you need to exclude uh, an artist that you don't want people to know that you like, uh, you can do that. And then on top of that, that came with a whole world of, okay, so I've built this client-side thing and I want to make sure it definitely is client-side. So it actually runs in a service worker. Um, that way I can guarantee, I can tell you, you can load the page and you can turn the internet off and the whole thing will work because I, I care deeply about privacy to the point that I actually have no tracking or analytics in it at all. I have no idea if one person has viewed it or 100,000. Now, I can safely say that I think it's more than one person, but not quite 100,000. Um, it did get some seriously good press. Um, people really do like, you know, music analytics stuff. Um, and so, you know, Mac rumors wrote about it. Um, cult of the Mac wrote about it first a couple of weeks ago. Um, and, you know, nine to five have since written about it and, and then product hunt and Reddit and, you know, various things like that. And, and on Twitter, it's done really well. Um, and I eventually added uh, Sentry.io, which is a, a bug tracker. Um, it's a really nice bug tracker, but it just turns out dealing with, 
other people's data is just a whole world of hurt when you're already dealing with like a really disgusting and messy CSV data structure in the first place. Um, I was getting a tons and tons of bugs and trying to debug over Twitter is, is just a whole world of hurt. So I finally added a, a bug tracker, um, which automatically tracks all crashes and un- unhandled exceptions um, in their system. It's kind of like Crashlytics for JavaScript. I really like it as well. It's free for my uses and their paid version is pretty cheap. Um, and from that, I've extrapolated that I'm getting a bug report. At first, I was getting a bug report about once every two minutes um, when I first put it in, which was about 24 hours ago. And since then, it's dropped down to... I made some fixes to fix some of the, the big bugs that were coming through. Um, since then, it's dropped down to like one every 15 minutes I'm getting a bug, which means at least once every 15 minutes, someone is using the site. But hopefully not everyone is hitting a bug because I'm not hearing about everyone complaining that it's shit, right? So that means that more than once every 15 minutes, someone is successfully using it. So that is insane numbers of uh, usage that I can, you know, sort of extrapolate out. Um, and people people seem to like it. So I think, you know, it's kind of in a stable spot now. There's a few more bugs I need to squash, but I think I'm just going to leave it uh, running as is. Um, people will keep coming back to it. It's been a, a fun experiment in uh, you know learning React um, and and all of the the pain that comes with you know updating state and, and refreshing cycles and asynchronous calls to get the images. Um, I thankfully already know a ton about the iTunes API, so that was super easy to deal with. Um, and then sort of dealing with the whole world of this data analytics that's reproducible. I've been building these. Um, annual reports every year, but I do so much of it by hand that it's not entirely reproducible. Um, Whereas this was a a function, an an application that you could throw data at and it would return results and it would, ignoring the times it crashed, always return results. And that was a different way of thinking about attacking the data problem. And I really like that. So hopefully I can apply that to other problems in the future with apply how, you know, I'm attacking problems in a reproducible manner. Uh, that's pretty much it for that application. It is open source. At first, I discovered that it wasn't technically open source. It was just source available as I forgot to put a license on it. But it is now open source. Um, I'd love contributions, maybe even some designers who wanted to come along and give that a hand. Um, it's going strong. Um, and you know, hopefully, uh, hopefully people like it and they're not too embarrassed about the songs. Um, the one thing that I have discovered is that people will not follow your instructions. It is a little bit confusing, I'll admit. You have to you know, navigate down a couple of folders, depending on how much stuff you download, to get to the right file. Um, one of the first bugs that I had to... you know, One of the first features I had to add was the detection if someone uploaded a zip file as opposed to the CSV, and they up, which meant that they almost certainly uploaded the wrong file. Um, but now that I've fixed that... And thankfully, with the Mac Rumors article, um, that has a really, really nice walkthrough. So I'm just kind of directing people towards that now with an easy walkthrough on how to actually use the site. Um, well, that's it for now. Uh, hopefully, I won't be uh, so much of a stranger and, and we'll be back with the podcast again soon. Um, I'm doing some big updates with Live Memories right now to get like a version two out the door. Um, hopefully, I'll get that out before Christmas. 
it's a bit of a mad rush. We're now a week away from Christmas, but yeah, that's it. Um, thanks for tuning in. Uh, do the iTunes and upvote things, and I'll catch you next time. Cheers.